Today our reading is from the New Testament, the book of John, chapter 4. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man now that you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Really good to see you. Thank you to Helena and all of our Trinity Kids servants for pulling off an amazing Christmas choir program. 
This morning, we're looking at another one of Jesus's encounters with unsuspecting individuals or small groups in the Gospels. And this passage today is at its core about thirst. Uh, And so thirst is a normal everyday experience. We're all continually drinking water. Our bodies are 80% water. And so we are constantly refilling ourselves with water. Our, our bodies can go a few days without food, but not a few days without water. And so true thirst, probably most of us have never experienced like true, real thirst. Not just like I could use a drink right now, but like where our cells begin to die and our muscles spasm and our organs go into failure. Thankfully, I, I don't know how many of us have been there. The thirstiest I've ever been Would you believe it? It involves a cycling story. Uh, About 18 months ago, uh, I decided to try to ride to the top of Mount Evans. Mount Evans is one of the 14ers in Colorado, and it's the highest uh, paved road in North America. Years ago, I had seen an article on Bicycling Magazine that ranked this the number one hardest ride in the US, so I was like, I know what I gotta do. Uh, And I had actually tried it two years earlier, and gotten up to about 13,000 feet and could not keep going, and I had to come back down. But July 2022, I am all in on getting to the summit of Mount Evans. It's just one road that just goes all the way to the top. There's a little kind of observation tower and and a tiny little parking lot at the top. And so I'm going, it takes about four hours just going uphill. Riding uphill is like more just mentally difficult, I think, than even physically difficult. But I got up over 13,000 where I had to turn around last time, and I am like totally out of water. No food. Uh, I had just driven out the day before, so I didn't really acclimate at all. Uh, So this is like thirst and dehydration like I have never known before. Uh, But I I don't want to stop. I don't want to be the guy that, that comes back down again. And so I keep going. I can see the top now. Mountains get steepest right at the top. I think that's a life metaphor somewhere. And it's just kind of switchbacks back and forth to the top. So now I'm going like walking speed, like three, four miles an hour. And I begin to get dizzy and I've got such a bad headache, I can feel my my heartbeat inside my helmet. Uh, My left leg begins to cramp up to where I can see the muscle spasms. Uh, It goes like completely numb, so I have to pedal with my right leg. The other one's clipped in, so it's along for the ride. Uh, And I I just, honestly, I begin to cry. I have no idea why. I've never experienced it on a bike ride. I don't know if it's the altitude or the dehydration or something internal got triggered, but I'm just like weeping as I'm like riding along and creeping towards 14,000 feet. And then it begins to hail. I was like, this is, how is this my hobby? (laughs) So I continue to go. I'm grinding it out, uh, thinking about my life, weeping. And and all of a sudden, I almost run in first to a mountain goat, and then second to a a woman who's in the middle of the road. I have to swerve around her, and she just kind of laughs and says, congratulations which is the worst thing you can say to somebody who's not at the top of a mountain. And I go a few more feet and almost run into another person. And I realize I'm I'm in the little roundabout. There's people and there's cars spread around. 
And there's a sign that says Mount Evans Summit, 14,250 feet. And there's people standing there taking pictures with the sign because they have driven to the top. <laughs> I had to literally wait in line to get a picture with the sign. I'm standing in line behind people that have driven to the top. And that's fine. People can take shortcuts in life. But I literally, when I reached the top, I like fell off my bike and began to just uncontrollably sob. I don't know why I don't feel like crying, but I'm just like uncontrollably sobbing. And my tongue is so dry and my lips are so dry, I can't close my mouth, I can't really open my mouth, and I can't move my tongue or like form any saliva whatsoever. And this nice lady comes over and she asks, how long did it take you to get up to the top? And I try to respond, but I'm sobbing. And I, <laughs> and she looks at me and then looks back at her friends like, I don't know. It just walks off. And thirst like I had never known before. I mean, like hallucination level of thirst and dehydration. I came back down. It's a lot easier coming down the mountain than it is going up. I got down in like 40 minutes. But thirst is, at, at its core, it's a human experience, and it's an experience of our, our need, that our bodies just can't go that long without water. We are made as, as dependent creatures. We need water. We need something to thirst this quench, or else we will die. I kept thinking of the words of the old pastor, the pain is but a moment, but the sermon illustrations last a lifetime. I'm going to get so much out of this. When we see this conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well, it is one of the most amazing conversations in all of the scriptures. Maybe my favorite one in all of these encounters that we're looking at over the next few months. I mean, it's remarkable. Even the text itself says that this conversation never even should have taken place. The Jewish men and Samaritan women, they don't interact together. This story is, is almost unbelievable. But it's this amazing revelation about about who we are, about what we need, about the, the deep inner thirst that we all have, even if we don't fully realize it, and how that thirst, that craving, that longing, that desire, it is only going to be met and fulfilled in the person of Jesus himself. You can try every other thing to quench that thirst, but only this one man from God can quench our thirst. And so we're going to look at three things, the woman, the water, and the worship. And we'll start with the woman. Now, what do we know about this woman? We don't get her name in the passage, but we know that she is a Samaritan woman. She's come to the, the well, which would have been outside the city limits, where she is going to draw water for the day. And so this was a normal sort of job that, that women would do each and every day. They would gather the water that they needed for cooking and, and cleaning and, and washing their hands and, and all of that sort of stuff. They would go to the well once a day and bring the water back. But what's unusual about how this woman is described, it says that she's actually going by herself. Normally women would go together as a, as a form of safety and they would almost always go first thing in the morning because this is the Middle East and it's hot and sunny. But our passage says that she goes alone at noon when the sun is highest in the sky, when it's, when it's blazing hot, why is she going by herself? Why in the middle of the day? We soon find out that this is a, a sinful woman. This is an, an outsider, an outcast. 
She's been married five times in a, in a very moral, good kind of family-oriented society. And, and the person she's living with now is not her husband. And so because of this, she is well known among the women of her community as, as an outcast, as a bad, sinful person. They want nothing to do with her. They don't want to draw water with her. She probably wants nothing to do with them. She doesn't want to draw water with them. And so she goes by herself day after day in the middle of the day in the heat to get water for herself and others. And so Jesus arrives at this old well that was dug by Jacob thousands of years ago. And the reason they don't associate with each other is because Jews look down with disgust on Samaritans. The Samaritans are those Israelites who centuries before had had left their own community and married people outside the people of God. They had intermarried and, and broken God's law in the Old Testament. And then they had also adopted the idols of these other nations. And so they are like half Israelites and half Gentiles. And the Jews despise them. I mean, like here's a people group that is that has broken God's law. And they had built their own temples and places to to worship God on these mountaintops, but they would mix their worship of God with worship of other gods and idols. And so this is why when, when Jesus approaches her, she immediately says, how can you ask me for a drink? I mean, think about it. Jesus sits down with this woman and breaks every possible social norm at once. They're almost polar opposites. He's a man. She's a woman. He is, he is morally perfect and righteous. She is impure and broken. She could not have even entered the temple in Jerusalem if she wanted to. And here is Jesus, the perfect Son of God. And He sits down as she's drawing water. And He says in verse 7, Will you give me a drink? Now, just think about this. I mean, I don't know if you've heard somebody say or you've said yourself, I don't know if I'm, I'm good enough to be a Christian. God would never accept somebody like me. You don't know what I've done. And there's a sense that Christianity, like any other religion, is about being the best possible person that we can be, that it's about moral perfection or coming from the right kind of family or having our life together in some kind of way. But when you look at the Gospels, And in particular, when you look at who Jesus spends his time with, I mean, doesn't it blow you away? Jesus will spend time with anybody. He sits down and eats with Pharisees and and religious leaders and wealthy people. But who does he focus his attention on? It's women and children. It's the poor. It's the unclean. It's lepers. It's blind men. It's paralyzed beggars outside the temple. It's tax collectors, it's, it's religious zealots and extremists. These are Jesus' people. One author has said that in general, God works most powerfully among the most powerless. And there's one more thing about this woman. It's not like she's looking for Jesus. It's not like one of those passages where she finds Jesus and throws herself at his feet and cries out with great faith. No, she's just getting water. She's just going through her normal daily routine. She does this day after day after day. And Jesus begins to talk to her, begins to engage her in this conversation. 
And in particular, the second thing, the water. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him for a drink and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, what is this water? Jesus is always speaking in images and illustrations and metaphors. And he's identifying something for her and for us today. That we are all deeply thirsty. We are spiritually thirsty. Everyone is longing for something. This woman doesn't have like a, a, an immediate spiritual interest. She doesn't come to Jesus seeking something. She doesn't even know that she's thirsty. But Jesus points to the water and says, anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But there's a living water that will continually renew you and satisfy your thirst forever. Jesus wants to show her that there is a, there is a deeper thirst and there is a truer water. There's something your body needs more than it needs water. There's a water that you need even more than the, the literal H2O. And if you drink this, you will never thirst again. What he's talking about is ultimate satisfaction. Like total peace. Complete fulfillment, contentment, ultimate purpose. And isn't this exactly what we are after in life? When we peel back the layers, isn't this what we're, we're going for? Isn't this what every single podcast is telling us about? How to find happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction. Isn't this what every book is about in the end? How to get the good life, how to find it, how to hold on to it. Isn't this what we're trying to discover and display on social media? This, this perfect life where we have no more needs. Everything is well-ordered. Jesus is saying you are continually thirsty. You are never satisfied. But this living water can become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, a spring of water under the ground, it can never be stopped. You know, you can pour dirt on it. You can put mud over it. You can pour concrete over it. Eventually, the water will come up to the surface. And what Jesus is talking about, this eternal life, he's not just talking about temporary happiness or comfort or easier circumstances. In the Gospel of John, eternal life is all about life with God. It's not about going to heaven when you die. Eternal life begins the moment you put your faith in Christ. It's life with God. It's life as it was meant to be. A life of peace and joy and love and fulfillment and satisfaction. This is eternal life, perfect harmony, total forgiveness, continuous renewal. Most of all, it's access to God, life with the Father. Now, the woman still doesn't quite get it. She still thinks they're talking about water, which is natural. Verse 15, she says, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. 
So she says, give me the water. And as I thought about this and as I read it over and over, I think she's actually probably being somewhat sarcastic, you know? It'd be like us saying like, oh, you have a winning lottery ticket. Great. Let me have it. Let me have this water and I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come back here tomorrow. Sounds great. Random Jewish guy talking to me in the middle of nowhere. She's not demonstrating great faith. She's, she's basically deflecting. She's saying, really, I'm, I'm fine. I've got all that I need. I'm, I'm not spiritually thirsty. Verse 16, Jesus told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now you read that and you're like, well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> is Jesus condemning her? Is he judging her? No, think about the context. They're talking about this living water. She's saying, you know, I'm good. I'm just here to get my water. I, I don't have any needs. I'm, I'm not spiritually thirsty. And Jesus says, okay, tell me about your husband. Tell me about these men. Tell me about all these places you've been going for happiness, for meaning, for satisfaction, for fulfillment, for connection, for intimacy. He's saying, go and call your husband. Now, probably none of you have been married five times, but the Lord might say the same thing to any one of us. He might say, tell me about your work, your, your career, your, your life goals, your, your income, the status. Tell me about your family, your, your spouse, your kids that you are, are so ambitious for, your, your Christmas card perfect family. Tell me about your, your desire to, to look good in the world, to be healthy, your, your appearance, the way you project yourself to others, others' view of you, your popularity, your status. Jesus is saying, go, call your husband. See, he knows, he knows who we are and he knows what's under the surface. He knows where we've been going. It's like when I go to the doctor quarterly for my most recent injury, you know, like I'm there and the doctor's like pressing on my knee or shoulder or whatever. And he's like, does it hurt here? I'm like, no. How about here? No, I think I'm fine. How about here? I'm like, oh my goodness. <clears throat> Jesus is a good physician and he knows exactly where we are hurt. He knows exactly where we are wounded. He knows the exact spot that we don't want to reveal. Maybe nobody else in all the universe knows, but Jesus knows he can put his finger on it and say, well, tell me about this. Tell me about this right here. When Jesus describes her complete spiritual and moral brokenness, just plainly, matter-of-factly, she realizes her entire life has just been laid bare in front of this guy. And so she says, verse 19, Sir, I can see you are a prophet, which is a kind of funny and appropriate response. So this is kind of awkward, you know, the moment is awkward. And she does what probably any of us would do in that moment. She changes the subject. 
Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And so what's happening is Jesus is trying to get in touch with her heart. She, he, is, he is speaking to her heart, but she just wants to go right back into her head. And so she comes up with, you know, it, it, this is clearly a prophet, a religious man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask him the religious question that I've, I've had. And this was actually just a very ongoing dispute between the Jews and Samaritans. Because the Samaritans had built a temple up in the mountains. The Jews had gone and destroyed it. The Samaritans are worshiping on the mountaintops, which is kind of a pagan practice. And the Jews said, you can only do true worship in the temple. And so she's saying, which is it? Is it our mountains or is it your temple? She hardly even realizes it, but she's asking about worship. That's the third thing. So we've got the woman, the water, and the worship. I feel like that's a pretty good outline. I looked at a lot of sermons, a lot of commentaries. Nobody had the three W's. One of my greater accomplishments in life, I would say. Verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming and is now here where you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, but true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Jesus actually says three things about worship here that are important for us. First, he responds to her question, where should we worship? Should it be here on the mountain? Should it be there in the temple? And Jesus says, a day is coming. It's actually here right now where it does not matter where you worship. It's not your mountains and it's not even our temple. He's saying in effect, I am the temple. It's not about where you worship, it's about who you worship. I am all that matters in worship, Jesus is saying. He later he says, I will tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. And he's talking about himself. He's talking about his life being laid down, a sacrifice, an offering for the sins of the whole world. The temple was where the Israelites would go day after day, Sabbath after Sabbath, year after year. Killing animals, making these offerings, all of these sacrifices over and over trying to atone for their sin. Jesus says, I am going to lay down my life once and for all. I am the true lamb that will be killed for the sins of God's people. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. See, the temple was the place where you could enter the presence of God on earth. And Jesus is saying, that's me now. I am the way that you get into the presence of God now. He's saying, I am the temple. Here's the second thing. Jesus says, the Father is seeking worshipers. And I love this line. A few years ago, this simple little line was, was so powerful for me. I had never really felt the full power of it. But God is actively seeking worshipers. Those who will know him and, and call upon him and love him and live in the light of his grace. We don't have to go seeking and searching for God, but he is seeking and searching for us. Isn't that true of this woman? She's just going about her day. She's not searching. She's not seeking. She's not religious. But God is seeking her. She's just going about her life. Jesus starts talking to her. God is looking for worshipers. 
He's searching high and low. He's seeking for those to come into his family, into his kingdom, into his his table for the feast. If you're in this room right now, God is seeking you as a worshiper. Wants to draw you to himself. If you're not a believer, he wants to bring you into the family of God through Christ. If you are a believer, he wants to draw you closer than you've ever been before. He doesn't just want you as, 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 a, as his salvation, as our salvation, just a, a get out of hell card. He wants to be your everything. He wants your worship. He wants your very heart. He's saying, come to me, come and drink, seek my face. I have living water. I can satisfy your deepest longings, even the ones you don't know you have. Everything you've been looking for in life, it's all found in me. God is seeking worshipers. And then the third thing, Jesus says, those who worship the Father must worship in the Spirit and in truth. We must worship God in the Spirit and in truth. And you know I love this line because worship in truth is something that I love. It's worshiping in the the truth of the Scriptures, who God is, how He's revealed to us in His Word. Worship in the truth is coming together as a church around the good news of the gospel, around the power of the scriptures and, and calling out for God, realizing that he's taken initiative with us. Worshiping in the truth is worshiping in a way that's, that's orderly and, and makes sense of who God is. It's rooted and grounded in the scriptures. Worship in the truth, Jesus says, and worship in the spirit. Worship not just because God is high and glorious and above us, but worship because he is close at hand. He is among us. Call on this father who is not just known for his transcendence, but for his intimacy. Call on him not just with with pre-written prayers and liturgies, but call to him from your very own heart. Let the spirit of God so dwell in you and fill you up that it's the overflow of your heart. Cry out to him with praise. And we get to hold these things together as Christians. We don't have to choose between worshiping in truth or worshiping in the spirit, but we worship together in the spirit and in truth. The transcendent and the intimate. Reverence and celebration, simplicity and depth, tradition and expression. It's this beautiful framework Jesus is giving us for our true worship. He says, if you come to me, you come by the truth and you come by the spirit. And this is how you are to worship me in the truth, full of the spirit. Now, the last few lines of our passage, verse 25, the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I mean, can you believe this is the first direct, clear, explicit statement of Jesus's Messiahship in all the Gospels? This, this passage, John 4, it comes before the, the passages in the, the Synoptic Gospels, the other three. It's really early in his ministry. We've seen other people call Jesus Messiah, but this is the single first time in all of the Gospels that he says, I am the Messiah. The first time he says, I am the one. 
Could you imagine that of all the people he could have said this to, it wasn't his disciples, it wasn't the religious leaders, it wasn't a crowd. He finds a woman alone outside the city. Her life is a wreck. She's not even looking for God. But he shows up to her and says, I'm the one you've been looking for. I am the Son of God. I'm the Messiah. Jesus draws her into his presence, knows what she needs, reveals himself directly to her. This is salvation. We're just going along in our own way, a a way that we think is right, but it leads to death. All of a sudden, Jesus starts talking to us, starts calling out to us. But Jesus shouldn't just be our salvation. The whole point of this passage is to say Jesus must be our satisfaction. It's not enough for us to just intellectually believe in him, call him our salvation. He must be our total, complete satisfaction, our everything. Everything else in life will suck us dry, leave us empty and dangerously thirsty. But Jesus is offering you true and everlasting water. He's the bread of life. He's the water. He's the wine that never runs out. He's offering himself to you even now. Will you take the bread? Will you take the wine? Will you take the water? God is seeking worshipers. Will we worship him in spirit and truth? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I think almost every one of us could say that we've been going our own way at at some point in life. And you just began to, to reveal yourself to us to put yourself in our path, to begin speaking to us. Lord, how many of us know what it's like when you say, tell me me about this, tell me about this one part of your life? Is it not leaving you completely empty and yet you're continuing to go back to it and you're only getting thirstier and thirstier? Lord Jesus, we confess again that you are our complete satisfaction. You are all that we need. You give us so many other good things in this life, and we thank you and we praise you. But you alone are the one that can give us everything, can give us everything our souls need, and you never run out. It can never be taken from us. Everything else can fade and fall away or be taken, and yet you are everlasting, you are living water. You never run out. Lord, for anyone here who doesn't know you, I pray that you might draw their hearts to you even now, compel them with the goodness and the beauty of your character. Call out to them by name and draw them to yourself. We know that this woman went running into towns saying to everyone who would listen, come and see a man who told me everything about myself. Could he be the one? Lord, in the same way, may we go and tell others that we have encountered the risen Lord, the Messiah. Father, we seek you as you seek us. Would you make us true worshipers in the spirit and in truth?
We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.